0: Hi and welcome to Beyond Madness from me, Christopher Paul Sabo. As a psychiatrist, I host conversations about issues emanating from psychiatry that impact society, as well as discuss societal issues that have potential implications for mental health and emotional well-being. My guests include thought leaders from both within the discipline of psychiatry and beyond. Beyond Madness is brought to you in proud association with Adcock Ingram OTC, sponsors of Brave inspiring communities one pharmacy at a time. The loss of someone close is a reality that has either already happened or will happen to each one of us unless, of course, we die before any such event, in which case it will happen to those nearest and dearest to us. Loss is an inevitable consequence of life, but as inevitable as it is, I'm not sure that one is ever fully prepared for how it impacts and to a greater or lesser extent, we grieve. On today's episode, entitled Loss and Grief, I welcome Professor Mark Golblatt and Dr. Lillian Cabiron. Mark's a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst in Cambridge, Massachusetts, in the United States of America, he received his medical degree from the University of the Witwatersrand, and he is an associate clinical professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, as well as a clinical associate at McLean Hospital in Boston. He's a founding member of the Boston Suicide Group, and he has a long-standing interest in suicide and psychoanalysis. Lillian is a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst as well as having trained as a transformational coach and mindfulness teacher with more than three decades of experience in the field of mental health. Uh, Lillian has her own story to tell that led her to involvement with the Compassionate Friends here in Johannesburg, initially as a participant in the meetings and ultimately as an individual grief counselor. So Mark and Lillian, um, welcome. Thank you both for joining us for this episode um, I want to start out by saying that, you know, when, when I think of grief, I think of Kubler-Ross, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was a Swiss-born American psychiatrist. She wrote the book on death and dying, which was published in 1969, so quite a while back, where she described her theory on the five stages of grief. And, and, and to my mind, this theory has become, and I might say, for me, certainly remains synonymous with the term grief. I'm not saying that she captures everything there is in her approach to grief and her understanding of grieving, but certainly it provides a a framework for potentially understanding firstly that it's a process and importantly for understanding oneself in that process. So I'd I'd, I'd like to start, if I may, with um, just uh, describing the stages as she proposed them and maybe beginning our conversation with a a reflection on the the stages. And and to to Lillian and, and Mark, I assume that I'm starting in a place that is comfortable for for both of you in terms of how one understands grief and the various stages. Lillian, Mark, okay with that? Okay, so I mean I'd like to start with describing the stages as um, Kubler-Ross proposed them and begin our conversation with a reflection on those stages. So if one looks at what the five stages are as described by her, there's denial, anger bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I'm reading them in a specific order, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they occur in that order. And we can look at each one in terms of what they potentially mean. But, Mark, I just want to turn to you initially. What's your experience in terms of Kubler-Ross, these stages of grief, and how you've experienced them play out in terms of patients or families that you've seen who might be grieving? Well,
1: grief affects all of us, and so we all have a personal experience of losing something very important and we all know the pain of what it's like uh, sometimes they the the stages that you describe can occur and sometimes we skip different stages sometimes there's more of one and more of the other yes uh, generally i think she's describing an overarching um, concept of how to think about it but often you might not have different one or other stage present and um, I think everyone just grieves in their own manner and struggles with the loss as best they can.
0: I think that's probably exactly how it is. I think grief strikes me as something which is unique to each individual and I think it's got a lot to do also with the connection with the person they've lost or, or what that person represents to them. I mean the 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 stages as described are very discrete and very specific and it, it's, it's, it's as if they occur in a sequential way. Lilian, I mean, you've, you've worked closely, obviously, through, um, the compassionate friends. I mean, what is your experience of, 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 or the, or the usefulness of Kubler-Ross's understanding of, of grief yeah. within the context of these five specific stages? Yeah.
2: Well, um, I'm glad that we started the conversation with the stages because uh, I think in a way it's an echo of what happened with Ross. She started the conversation about dying and about grief, what was not happening before. Right. And okay. I found there the, the biggest and most important uh, value of her stages Um, In my personal experience and the personal experience with the clients, um, most people have their own path, and um, we have to be careful in the way we understand the stages um, and not to assume that they are a sort of a recipe to follow or tidy stages that goes one after the other. And eventually we're going to go into something else or out of grief. I think is a is a good m- map to have in mind, and to eventually, depending on what is happening with the individual, point out that you know these things have been described and they are extremely completely normal into the grief process. But uh, as Dr. Mark Olbrad said, it's very individual; each person grieves in a particular way, and it. Grief is very messy also. Mm. It's not mm. a tidy process where we first are in denial and then we pass to another stage that is anger and so on. Sometimes somebody can go through those stages, a sort of tidy, but many times no. And the other thing is that uh, for me, stages give the impression of uh, steps, you know, that we are in one mm. step of one level, then we move to another level and my experience shows me that it's not like that. That right. is in one day, people can come and go through different so-called stages or can go in uh, throughout months into different ones and go back to square one to yes. one of the first yes. ones. Sure. So yes, it's very valuable as a roadmap, as a framework, as you mentioned. Uh, but we, we have to be careful in the way we understand them and also free uh, people from the understanding that they are not going, if they are not going through these stages while they are grieving, something is wrong with them. Yes. Grief is personal and each person experiencing in their own way and uh, is okay to feel the way each person feels. And um, I suppose,
0: yeah. I suppose. Because they're called stages, it seems like there would be some kind of sequential process where you go from one to the next to the next. But the truth of the matter is, I, 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 I don't know. I, I think maybe it's almost As much as it might be helpful for the individual who's grieving, it's probably also helpful for the therapist or the psychiatrist who's dealing with the patient to have an understanding of what the patient may be experiencing at a particular moment and to provide them with some kind of context uh, as in this is understood, this is how it happens, this is how it works, and this is what we can anticipate. How do you… See that, Mark. I mean, is it is it is it a useful framework? I mean, as much as we sort of say, well, it's the framework. I mean, I I I don't know that it's an absolute.
1: Well, you're making two important points, but I want to underscore what lillian said. It's all about the individual and how each person deals with something that's just enormously painful. Right, and that there really isn't a a wrong way to do it. Your way of doing it is the right way, and there's no. textbook that's going to tell you what's a better way to do it yes the second point to get back to what you're saying christopher is that people come and see me when things go wrong so for normal grief it's extremely painful and people struggle with it individually with family with friends colleagues whoever is also associated with the loss they usually don't come and see somebody like me because we think of grief as normal. Everybody goes through it and you can take as long as you like. Now, in some cases, something goes wrong, in which case it's a very difficult grieving process. And some people, the grief has uh, bad implications in terms of uh, how to move forward, whether through all these stages or back and forth in these stages or, outside of these stages, but somehow it's debilitating. And at that point, people come and see a psychiatrist and uh, I've ended up seeing people in my practice or people who already are in my practice go through another severe loss and then we have to deal with it in in the
0: treatment. But I think that's a, a, a critical point because there are different categories of people. There are those who come and seek help, because they've obviously reached a certain point in terms of their emotional functioning and and, and coping where they have to reach out and seek assistance, whereas in fact the vast majority of people do not do that at all. And I'm wondering to what extent you know Kubler-Ross's stages pertain to different populations, the sort of clinical, because that's what we're talking about to to, to some extent, or or that's – the point that you're making, as I understand it. There's the clinical population and the non-clinical population. And I think the non-clinical population constitute the vast majority. Lilian, just in terms of your work with the Compassionate Friends, you obviously got there through your own personal journey i don't know if you want to share that with us because obviously Mm -hmm. it's something deeply personal for you and i don't want to uh, put you on the spot so there's no pressure to do so but obviously it would be helpful if you if you're able to and 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 if not also okay we'll just move to your work with the compassionate friends so i leave it to you to to decide
2: okay um Yeah, I'm going to speak from my my personal experience with grief um, and particularly with uh, grief of losing a son. Right. Uh, But also from my experience uh, with Compassionate Friends, uh, who is an organization that offers support to bereaved parents, siblings, and grandparents. Um, Relating my experience with the stage is I must say that Yes, I do recognize um, retrospectively having been through different stages that has been described at River Ross, but at the same time uh, I, I recognize passing very quickly sometimes um, through one or, or other of the, the stages and parking for quite some time into other ones mm. and coming mm. forwards and backwards um, skipping. The the sort of uh, lineage that uh, Dr. Kluber-Ross mentioned it. But to be honest and fair, um, mm-hmm. we we have to address that when when she wrote the stages, uh, she was working with people that was dying, not with people that was grieving. Right. What perhaps brings a little bit of a difference in terms of how the process go, perhaps. And also, uh, she never intended to to have. Um, uh, to offer the, the stages as something that should be a recipe or, mm. or something to stick and follow precisely. She even said at some point in time in the latest works that she never intended to compress into a simplified version of grief, a process that is so complex and so um, uh, messy, really. Yes. Um, And I have experienced in myself that messiness and having moments where I was able to breathe almost like, you know, having pockets of air where to breathe in and going through again, the the very sticky swimming into the waters of um, the grief, the the grief of of losing the sun. And for me. It has been also very helpful just to um, add something else, not only consider the stages, what in a way is a bit of um, a passive approach that right. um, gives the idea that, well, we will go through the different things that are described, uh, but also incorporate uh, an approach that is more um, active, uh, acknowledging and, and working through the process of grief. When I um, work with people that is grieving, I, at, point in t- at some point in time, I remind them that not only is, is a difficult journey, but it also a, it demands a lot of work. Right. It's not about yeah. like the common saying uh, out there that time heals everything. Yes. Time is necessary, but uh, hard work is also necessary. There are things um, that we have to be aware and and actively do and go for it, even if it is to just allow the pain and the sadness to be there. Yeah. Um, but we have to have intentionality to work through that. Uh, so, yeah.
0: I think that's important, the issue of intentionality. Look, I must be honest. I mean, I, I, I have on occasion had patients come to see me specifically because of loss Um, of a loved one. I've had patients who are seeing me who happen to lose a loved one. And I've got to be perfectly frank, I don't make reference to Kubler-Ross at at all within that context. Mm. I'm more about listening to their story, their loss, how it's impacted upon them, who that person was to them, and how they are thinking about their life now without that person before we even necessarily get to the future. Um, it's just about working with the feelings in, in the moment. And so, I mean. The overwhelming sense that I generally have is is is, is one of sadness. Um, so you could say, well, that's Kubler Ross's depression. But the whole issue of of the actual stages, I must be honest, as a as a clinician, as much as I'm aware of them, I don't necessarily even uh, have active reference to that in, in in my mind when I'm working with an individual who's grieving. I don't know, Mark, you as as a clinician, how do you you know? Uh,
1: well, I keep it in the back of my mind. But yeah. So, for example, a uh, a woman in her 40s who I was seeing, uh, her mother died. Right. And she was completely devastated and overwhelmed and feeling a lot. And um, when she came to see me, uh, I asked her about her mother yes. and she would give me vague statements about how oh, she was so nice and how oh, she always had dinner on the table, things like that. And eventually I, I asked her about the funeral and what did they do and the, ma- the funeral mass and things like that, and very specific. And she was then able to describe what happened. And I think that's the first stage, the denial so it's not that she didn't know that her mother had died and sure. she didn't know anything about her mother, but she wasn't quite taking it in. And as she told me, this is what happened. She was in the hospital. She was seen by this doctor. Then this doctor came along and suddenly she passed out. Now she told me the details and yes. then she told me the details and then she called the priest. and As she went through that, it became very real and that broke through the denial. So I, I would say I keep it in mind that yes. it's really more around the suffering, the painful suffering of loss.
0: Yes. And, and, and I think that that's exactly what, what, what my experience has been. And, and often it's the talking through that unlocks and starts to evoke a lot of the emotion and the connection with the, the enormity of what has potentially happened in terms of the, of, of the loss. Because as you say, often it's quite factual and I suppose one of the things that I wanted to raise and I'll, I'll jump in and raise it now is that I often find the, the logistics of death get in the way of the mourning process. It's the person has died. Now you've got to contact the undertaker. Then you have to, depending on your religion, contact whoever is going to perform the service. Then you have to inform everybody. Then you've got to wrap up the estate. And then it's dealing with lawyers. And then it's dealing with certificates and, and paperwork. And I... In my own experience of of, of loss, have found that incredibly, on the one hand, burdensome because it's kind of getting in the way of what I'm really wanting to do, which is reflect on the individual. And at the same time, it's it's kind of helpful because it's almost a distraction in terms of focusing on these sort of uh, nuts and bolts of death, because there are nuts and bolts of death, whether we like it or not. There are things that have to be arranged and things that have to be taken care of. I'm not quite sure what, what your thoughts are on that, but I, I call it the bureaucracy of death and mourning. And, and, and this kind of gets in the way of, of the mourning, but yet in its own way, it almost gives you a breathing space to kind of process, but in a different way through, through, through doing things. Lillian, I'm not quite sure what your experience has been. And then Mark. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I I agree with what you said and I feel recognized in in my personal experience and the experience that I hear from river people. Um, there is this period that we can also call it denial, I think, but it has a, a, a service yes. to us that yes. is to allow us to filter such an overwhelming news of a loss and create the possibility to disconnect with that and then, talk about something that is perhaps lateral and talking about, you know, which flowers I want to choose. Yes. And you uh, worry about the flowers, but at the same time, the flowers are for the funeral of your son. Obviously, there is a level of denial there, but it's also necessary to be able to breathe, to be able to take in such a strong situation, such difficult, difficult situation that is so it goes beyond the capacity perhaps at the beginning and allow us some time to start bringing it in.
0: It's, 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 uh, to me, I always say that the, the grieving starts when all the people go home. So it's like initially Mm -hmm. everybody's there suddenly there 's this flurry of activity family friends people you haven 't seen for ages who get to hear the news and there 's all this activity swirling around you and as you know we 're talking the organization and all the sort of finer details and allocation of duties to make sure that everything is respectfully done and in a dignified way and, 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 and honors the person and then suddenly everybody goes home and they go back to their own lives and I think that for me in in, in my experience that that's when the grieving really starts is that that's when there's kind of a, a level of acceptance that this is it now. Everyone's gone, and it's just me and my thoughts. Obviously, you haven't been abandoned, but all the activity dies down, and it's just you. Mark, I'm not quite sure what your thoughts are on, on, on that, but that's my own personal experience of, 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 of loss and to some extent what I've seen.
1: Yeah, I I think that's exactly right. There's something organizing about the bureaucracy of death. And we slip into it because it's so hard with what we're dealing with. It's it's uh, difficult to accept what's happened, and it's nice to be on a path that everything's just being taken care of Mm -hmm. while I'm coming to terms with whatever I'm trying to come to terms with. At the same time, when that runs out, as it inve- inevitably does, whether it's in hours or days or weeks, then you're left to grieve on your own, and that's the most painful part. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's when most people need someone else. Very few people can do this on their own. Mm-hmm. Most people need – you can either share with people who have gone through a, that kind of loss, you've, you know, a siblings who have lost a parent or uh, relatives who have lost someone in common – or when you've you 've got colleagues that know everybody that everybody knows the person that we 've lost, yes. then there's some way of grieving together, but it 's also very private, and mm. so it 's that mixture of the personal and the the group
0: yes, I think that Capacity to 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 grieve within a community, and I suppose that's where the support group comes in, Lilian. In terms of compassionate mm-hmm. friends, I mean, obviously, not everybody who loses someone lands up at the support group. How would you characterize the folk who come through to the support group um, in general? And I, and I know it's a it's, it's a broad generalization, but obviously, as a as someone who's been a participant and as someone who is now. Involved in, in or has been involved in grief counseling How would you characterize the people who come through To the compassionate friends in, in that sense Which is just one group of many I suppose
2: mm-hmm. I would say the most um, honest characterization Would be Is a normal human being Yes it's, um, Really there is no a particular um, Stereotype of people that counts Because there is a big variety In terms of People that perhaps consult a few days after they have experienced the loss. Right. People who cons- consult a few months after. And also people that come after many years. And uh, they choose different ways of participating. Some people stay there every single meeting. Some people come and go. Some people retreat for a while because they were not ready to Take in all what he said and share in the groups, and and then they come back later on. So it's not really a stereotype of mm. people. Um, I would say it's people that, for one reason or another, have realized that there is a value in finding a group, a peer support group, with people that have been experienced what they are experiencing. And um, we work with the loss of children. What right. is a very particular um, kind of loss yes. and people that goes uh, to the groups find that they can be heard and understood in a way that outside the group nobody does because if you haven't been through that kind of loss it's very very difficult to to really grasp the mm-hmm. depth of the that kind of loss
0: so i think the peer support is 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 important for those particular individuals. But I think in general, I, I, I think there's a there's a real benefit to not necessarily speaking, but certainly to listening to other people's stories and, and, and feeling a certain commonality. I mean, obviously, we all experience grief in our own individual ways, but certainly to feel we're not alone because i think as you've said mark that is that is really you know the sort of private grieving can be quite overwhelming but by the same token you know sometimes mm-hmm. that's what people want they just want that peace and and an ability to to focus but i think the peer connectedness is actually very important mark do you do you work with uh, peer support groups in 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 terms of grief counseling or, or or patients that you see that you might refer onwards for that
1: I often uh, refer people on to get support from groups because groups are so powerful, and they can play a very important role, especially about particular kinds of losses, you know some losses are just too much or losses that are traumatic, for example yes. or losses that are uh, come one on top of the other, or things like that just, can just be too much. And people struggle to find a way to, to, to take it in and to come to terms with it. And it takes a long time. And sometimes being amongst others who've had similar experiences can be very supportive and find a strength.
0: I think that's, that's the issue really is, is, is to find the strength to, to keep moving forward and, and, and to carry on because life does carry on. And I think that's the sort of harshness of it all is that as much as you are experiencing that loss, life is carrying on and you have to be part of that. It's, 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 it's not a negotiation. I wanted to touch on something because we're three psychiatrists sitting together, and it wouldn't be a psychiatric conversation without bringing the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders into it. Number five, and in fact, it's gone beyond number five. It's now the text revision, which uh, was an inevitable consequence from the American Psychiatric Association. And I came across a headline not too long ago, well, a little bit back in the New York Times, how long should it take to grieve? Psychiatry has come up with an answer. So I read a headline like that. And as a psychiatrist, I'm, I'm a little bit taken aback because I don't want to be cast in the role of having an answer. And there's a new diagnosis that's been added to the DSM-5 in the text revision. And they, the New York Times calls it the DSM-5 psychiatry's Bible. Um, and they speak about a new diagnostic entity called prolonged grief disorder. And so I wanted to, to to touch on what your thoughts were on that, or if you've even really kind of exposed yourself to it, because I I, I certainly haven't seen the text revision of DSM five. So if I hadn't read about it uh, in the newspaper, I'm not sure that I would have known about it. But here they're putting a one year uh, time limit when I say time limit, they're saying that if you kind of go beyond a year of grieving, then potentially you're suffering from prolonged grief disorder. And I think one of the issues for me is this medicalization of what is potentially a a, a normal process. And I think that one of the, in the second paragraph, they speak about viewing intense grief as a target for medical treatment. So, I, you know, when, when I read things like that, I'm always a little bit, concerned that we're medicalizing what is a normal process actually for the vast mm. majority of people. Although they speak about seven to ten percent of bereaved adults suffering from prolonged grief disorder. And I'm not sure that prolonged grief is necessarily a disorder, even if it impacts upon you. So I don't know, Mark, what your thoughts are and and, and Lillian what your what your thoughts might be.
1: I, I think that that they're struggling to define is when does it take a turn from beyond grief and become something uh, like depression yes. or disorganizing uh, when when you can't get your life back on track so a client of mine um his mother died uh, 18 months ago right and i would say he he speaks about her every week when we meet and he clearly misses her and grieves for her and it's 18 months later and he's still doing it and so what you know i i think i, I wouldn't diagnose it as anything i think it's still very painful and still very fresh on the other hand i have also had people who, who've come and see me and said um my uh, spouse died and i i I just can't take care of the kids. I'm supposed to go to work. I just can't get myself up. I can get going, and I'm completely stuck and i that's when I need help and so no matter whether that's at month one or month twenty one that, that's a stage that needs more more input from the um, psychiatric point of view.
0: well, I think that you know uh, what you said initially I, we needing to distinguish, are we dealing with something beyond grief? Have we moved into another diagnosable condition for which there is a different path of care that might be required, but Lillian, before I move on further your your thoughts on this uh, concept or this entity prolonged grief disorder what 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 would you say
2: Look, I think uh, it's important that uh, there is a conceptualization of a possibility of grief to to go in a way that is not favorable, well, favorable if we can say it, yes. for the person that is uh, going through the process, is important because it gives public awareness and give awareness to clinicians also. And in a way, we um, sort of understand each other when we talk in terms of that is sort of a foundation from where we are um, considering how, the, the grieving person is um, progressing. At the same time, I think it's quite dangerous. And mm-hmm. I see it very often that people that is in the early times and stages of grief sure. a, a, have been um, medicalized and they have been given medications that more because, they, of course, they are <laughs> experiencing intense um, symptoms of sadness mm-hmm. And even sometimes bit, some anxiety and, and the doctors don't know what to do with that. And so they indicate medication. Right. And the problem with that is that that can or has the, the potential to, to make flat the experience of grief. What needs to be lived through? Yes. Nobody can, um, Go and progress through griefs and engra- embrace life again. If it doesn't go through the process of grieving, it doesn't go through the the pain and through the difficult moments that grief brings to us. Um, I think uh, I am in agreement with Mark when he says uh, it's not about the time. Uh, we see it again and again in our groups: people that is um, maybe five, 10 years down the line, and they, they still feel profoundly the, the pain and the missing of the person that they lost. But at the same time, they are functional in their life. Yes. They can sustain their jobs. They can feed their kids. They can go ahead with their lives. And I think that is where we have to have a balance. That's why a, a manual or a book is not all. We, yes. we really need to be sensitive to each situation And also different griefs have different times too. A grief that is um, because of a murder probably will take longer and will go deeper into many of the symptoms that other kinds of grief depend on the personality also. I think
0: think that some of the risk factors for prolonged grief disorder, exactly what you said, murder. You know where there's been a traumatic loss, or there's been a suicide, or a motor vehicle accident. You know it's 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 acute and sudden. Apparently, those would be uh, because because I do think that the the way in which the person is lost also probably has an impact on 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 how one grieves and how one processes processes that loss. But I wanted to just quote. Uh, there's, there's a chap called David Kessler, and 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 he co-wrote a book with uh, Kubler-Ross called On Grief and Grieving. So he's obviously a, a prominent um, writer and, and, and thinker in, in, in this area. And the question of when does grief end and his response is how long is the person going to be dead? And you will always grieve and you will grieve for a long time. But not always with pain, and I think that's what's difficult. I think when you're in the the, the, the depths of 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 mourning it's it it's that pain which becomes really intense it doesn't mean that you can't function, but you 're going to function with pain and I think maybe as 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 professionals, it's often very difficult for us not to respond pharmacologically or with something more other than to say it will pass, but you have to work through it. It's a process. It, it, it takes time. Do you often find yourself, and I'm going to ask you, Mark, I mean, do you, do you find yourself pushed into a situation where you, you might not necessarily want to do something more than what you might do, but where you feel compelled because of how the person is, 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 is presenting?
1: Well, sometimes that happens, but there's a couple of aspects to what you're talking about. So, um, some of it has to do with when the the grief uh, gets gets beyond uh, the circumstance so people who are unable to think of anything else in life so right. the, Let's go back to when you were talking about the pain. Right. The pain can be two aspects. There's, there's physical pain, and with grief you can you can feel it physically in your gut, and often ask people where they feel it. Uh, the man I was talking about who lost his mother, he felt it deeply in his chest, and yes. he sometimes went to the emergency room for a checkup, but it was all somatic, psychosomatic yes. pain that he felt in his body. People also feel psychic pain. Psychic pain is just a pain that goes often with with grief and unbearable emotionality. Mm -hmm. And so that can be very hard to endure. Now, the question is, how do we help people endure that? And I think people help each other. I think the Mm -hmm. grieving process is we sit around, we eat, we talk about this person we lost, we fume at the circumstances, whatever. And that helps us. But it doesn't actually go away; it takes time and it takes, like you said, effort and things like that. But in some people, they get caught up in it, and nothing's changing, and they're getting to feel worse and worse and worse and that's when I feel okay about intervening. Usually, a loved one says, uh, "Go see your doctor because this is this is going going too far. this is too much
0: okay. and so coming back to the support group. Lilian, I mean, do you ever see people who who come to the group where you can identify and say, are you seeing someone beyond the group? Is there something more that maybe you need because you see how they are within the group? Do you do you ever yes. intervene in that way?
2: Absolutely, yes, yes, uh, in groups and individually. Right. There are times where. I hear that the person is really stuck and uh, the pain is in a very very high level and becomes dangerous to leave the person without any other alternative. So we talk through the possibility of seeing a professional that can assist in, from some other angle, being you know a deep therapy or being medicines if it's necessary, antidepressants whatever is not necessary,
0: or for sleep, something to help you sleep at night because I think
2: sometimes that's... yes. Yes,
0: because I often think that the
2: the lack of sleep and the the loss of appetite is something that is important also to take care of because, especially at the beginning, is something that is very pronounced, and if we don't take care of our physical body, it's very difficult to go and process step by step what happens emotionally. So that is something that we take very much into consideration, and yeah, we do the. The recommendations to see a professional if it is necessary.
0: I think that from a medication point of view, I mean, there would be the standard kind of interventions with an antidepressant or a hypnotic, something to help sleep or something for anxiety. But more recently, I've been reading about the use of a drug, ecstasy, um, being used in the process of assisting grief and with very positive results now i you know i'm I'm always a little bit wary and a little bit skeptical because i haven't seen randomized controlled trials but certainly that is something that is out in the popular media and 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 people are talking about it and sharing their experience of 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 grieving and how this agent let's call it that has assisted them so mark i'm not sure what you might have heard or what you might have experienced uh, in, in in that sense of what people may be saying
1: I don't have uh, any personal experience of using it or prescribing it. Right. I think I would put this in the same category as alcohol or marijuana. Right. People who deal with their grief, by it's, a form, it's really a form of denial. If I can be drunk all the time, I won't feel. Right. If I can be uh, medicated with marijuana or ecstasy, then it's a way of not feeling. And so it's a way of postponing the inevitable, which is coming to terms with this pain.
0: And I think that that's what struck me is, is that I I couldn't quite figure out in my own mind how you make the loss more acceptable simply by taking ecstasy, which, okay, I, I understand may break down social inhibition and may make you feel more connected to other people around you. But at the end of the day, when the effect wears off, what are you left with? And I don't see how it kind of takes you to another level of acceptance and comfort with the loss. So I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to something Lillian had, had said where you, you have to feel the pain, actually. I mean, as, 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 and and this is not from a, a, a sadistic point of view to say you have to feel the pain, but the reality is you have to go through the process because I think if you don't go through the process, I'm not sure that you ever really deal with it and ever fundamentally heal. And I don't want to come across as being harsh in that sense, but I I do have a sense that you have to work through the process and you can't escape it ultimately. You can attempt to medicate it and, and, and coming back to what you have said, Mark, in terms of alcohol or marijuana, but I think at the end of the day... It's you and your loss, Lilian. Your your thoughts?
2: Yes, yes. It's completely as as you describe it. You know, as a mindfulness teacher, I could say to be able to change anything, you have to bring awareness to that, and you have to be present with it, make a space for it with compassion, with care towards yourself, but live it through. And I think that the the work in in grief is um, touch and go, touch and go, mm-hmm. connect with the pain, and retreat. Right. Connect, because it's too much. We cannot be all day, all the time connected. Sometimes it's nothing else that we can do, but as time progresses, we start having more space for connecting with other things that really help us to also reconnect with the life. And sometimes useful distractions are, are important, but when I say useful distractions, I am talking about uh, innocent things, like perhaps watching a movie yes. or go with somebody for a coffee and talk about the weather, yes. I mean, distracting our mind, our being, our emotions from that sadness, pain, longing that the grief brings. But when we use substances, we are not distracted in a useful way. It's actually uh, we're creating more problems because when the, the substance wears off, we are back into that space that we don't want to be in contact with.
0: Because so. you see, for me, the, the I don't see how the substance moves you forward. I see how the substance uh, blocks out something specific that is painful in that moment and for the duration of the action of whatever the substance is. I just can't see how it moves you forward. And I think that moving beyond grief, I mean, just generally with mood disorders and addiction and things like that, you know, there's this increasing... Move towards the use of, of of the psychedelic agents like psilocybin and, and and what have you. And personally, I've got no experience, either personal or clinical experience. But there seems to be a move towards these kinds of substances, which take you into almost an altered state. Um, as if this is now going to move you forward therapeutically. I'm not sure what your thoughts, th- thoughts are, Mark, but certainly a lot of the work coming out of Johns Hopkins is is, is around psychedelics and, and mood disorders. And now I see there's a, a, a suggestion for grief as well. And so I'm not skeptical, but I am questioning because I, I don't fully understand how it takes you forward.
1: I don't have any experience of it. I've seen some reports about it being effective for post traumatic stress disorder. And even there yes. I'm skeptical. I I, th- I think um the the reality is something we can't really avoid, which is how the loss makes you feel and how do you eventually come to terms with it. Yes. And we all do that In our own way, the real danger for psychiatrists like us is that can this loss then lead to another illness like a depression or to psychosis or to a manic episode or suicidality. suicide? suicide? Yes. And that's what we have to be involved
0: with. Because I do think that that is a very real experience that people might have, that my life is not worth living since I've lost this person. And I suppose when one gets to that point – that is a need for one to seek out professional help, and one would hope that you know there are people around you who might be able to guide you in that sense and and, and, and I think that is where peer support does come in and maybe moves the person onto to a professional who will hopefully be able to not just simply medicate because i I also have a concern that we just simply medicate without necessarily listening and getting really engaged with what is going on with the patient. You know, one of the things I have with psychiatry is often we refer on to somebody else for psychotherapy. Personally, I can tell you that I, I, I'm not inclined to do that. I, I like to work with my patients holistically, psychotherapeutically, as well as psychopharmacologically if, if necessary. Because I think that when you work with one person, for me, it feels more um, contained, in that sense, not that I'm against our onward referrals, I I just tend not to. And I, I just have a concern that sometimes as psychiatrists, we take a very narrow view of, of, of the person in front of us. And we simply see them as, as somebody suffering from condition X that needs medication Y, and then that's it. And I'm, I'm you know, not comfortable with that completely. That, but that's that's personal. So – are there factors which influence the, the the process of of grief? And here I'm getting into things like culture and religion. I know in the Jewish faith it's it's very prescribed in terms of how things work. You know, for seven days you sit Shiva and then there's the the sort of uh, one year, and there's the yahrzeit candle. You'll correct me, Mark. And so there's this there's this process which is very. Procedural in a, in a way which which also seems very containing um, and, and and I would think that there are certain faith based traditions that are very helpful i 'm not sure what your experience has been mark and, and, and your experience Lillian
1: uh, My own experience is that when my father died, I found some of these rituals very helpful right. but limited I, I could use it in the first week or two, and yes. then faith uh, was not something that really played a role in my grieving my um, engagement with family and friends was more helpful in my grieving. I think a lot of people get get a great deal out of their faith, especially during times of loss, in particular when they can find a priest or a person who's compassionate and empathic and not just going through the rituals of death.
0: So I think that that's important, compassionate Someone who's compassionate. I think that is really the issue, and it's and it's and it's not so much necessarily about religion per se, or or, or that uh, in itself. It's about the person you talk to. It seems to me, and 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 how they can relate and how they can provide you with comfort. Lilian, your thoughts? Mm.
2: Yeah, definitely, it's important the connection with. Uh, a person that can be compassionate. I think religion or, or religious beliefs adds another layer that is also with compassion, hopefully most of the time, yes. if not all. But also um for people that believe in a particular religion, there is an answer in terms of what is the meaning and the purpose of life, yes and what happens after death. Right. So that adds also to the person that is grieving, and, and helps them perhaps um, resolve or go through the grief uh, in a better way. than when there is no meaning at all, um, some researchers show that um, people that is a strong believer in a particular religion recovers or recovers or goes through the process of grieving and reinsert in society in a faster and better way that people that has no uh, religious support uh, and no religious beliefs at all. And also religion proposed some rituals and those rituals, um, in my view, uh, assist the person to to process and express the grief to the community, to, uh, in a way, know how to support, even if it is for a period, short period of time but to support uh, and be related to the grieving person and um, and indicates some roles of how people behave during yes. those rituals. So yeah, I found it uh, very valuable for whoever has uh, a belief. There are some points where religion can be not positive, but can bring actually some negative effects. That is when there is criticism or, or um, yeah, some sort of judgment, judgment. Uh, regarding the type of uh, passing, especially suicide, for example, or when it's related to some particular diseases that are um, not recognized by society or stigmatized by society. Right. So in those cases can be detrimental. And yeah.
0: Okay. So Kessler, who I've mentioned or referenced earlier, David Kessler, speaks about a sixth stage of uh, yep. of grieving and here he brings in meaning and mm-hmm. what he's really talking about is finding meaning and purpose in your life through reaching beyond yourself maybe to help others or to be involved outside of your immediate um activities and i think that's very important because increasingly i see that it's 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 this idea of 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 meaning and connection beyond yourself that not just within the context of grief but within the context of emotional wellness generally is so important. I don't know what your thoughts are, Mark, on that.
1: We're all trying to make meaning of our lives, and we're trying to make meaning of the loss. Yes. And so finding connections with others is certainly a, a very good way of trying to extend the meaning and to, to move forward.
0: Yeah. Okay. So coming to the end, and obviously ideally one moves forward not without pain but remembering the person more with love than with pain i think that is one of the um, ideals actually i in fact i always say to my patients i think you will always feel pain i don't think that you can never not feel pain because if somebody meant so much to you i think it's something that does sit with you it doesn't mean that that's all you will experience in life but certainly i don't know that it ever necessarily goes away i i i that's my personal view. I'm not sure what you think, Liliana, what do you think, Mark, of, of, of yeah. that?
2: hundred percent. I think um, my, my personal experience and experiences that I um, witnessed, people do not uh, close the grieving process. Sure. People yeah. continue grieving. But we learn to live with that pain and that grief in a little space in us, yes. and we grow yeah. around the grief, yes. the life yeah. So yes. it, in a way it's like we expand and we become bigger than the just the grief. Yes. But it stays with us. That
0: yes. makes that makes a lot of sense, Mark.
1: The difficult ones to grieve are the ones that we feel ambivalent about. Right. You know, the ones that we feel more of the love and we internalize the love and we connect through the love, that's one thing. Or even the ones that I hated him, he treated me so badly. Uh, going to you it's the ones that we ambivalent i love and hate and that's very hard to make a um to, to progress and those are the ones that get us stuck
0: well i suppose because you can't really resolve that because they're gone now and so that is what you're left with you're left with the ambivalence and i think that yes ambivalence is a very difficult space to be mm-hmm. in so I want to thank both of you for your time and uh, giving of yourselves to 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 join us. And, and I usually end with a quote. And Lilian, you must just forgive me because I've lifted the one from below your email signature, which I found very enlightening, actually. And at least you know that I read your email and I read it all the way to the end. <laughs> so it's a quote from Rumi. And uh, he's typically referred to as a mystic, a saint, a Sufi, an enlightened man. And he says the following. And this is beneath or at the very end of uh, Lillian's email. It's below her signature. And he says, don't turn your head. Keep looking at the bandaged place. That's where the light enters you. So reflect on that. And thank you very much to both of you once again for, for joining us and, um, hopefully providing some meaning and some enlightenment for the listeners and, and something for them to take forward. Um, in their lives should they encounter grief which they most likely will do at some point that's the reality of life so thank you this has been beyond madness in proud association with adcock ingram otc sponsors of brave inspiring communities one pharmacy at a time remember there is no health without mental health and until next time take care